Last week, we launched into a uh, new study for the spring. It's in the New Testament letter of Philippians, the letter written by Apostle Paul of the church in Philippi, and we are continuing now in that journey. So today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, or you also have the text there in your worship bulletin that you can follow along as well. Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Listen as I read God's Word. And now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm good to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's bow and pray together. Father, your, your servant writes words that for most of us, if not all of us, are somewhat startling to consider our mortality, life, and death so clearly in light of who you are and who Christ is, what you have done for us, is a real challenge for our minds and our hearts. Lord, may we be given by your Holy Spirit a mind unified with what Paul has written by your Holy Spirit, a heart and a mind that desires Nothing but Christ as we live and breathe. And then as we pass from this life into your presence, may we see that so much far better. Lord, give us that type of perspective as you gave your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There have been many believers throughout church history 
in case you read church history much, if not, many who have seen their own death, not as a failure, but as the very fuel that ignites the advancement of the gospel itself. Two of those faithful followers of Jesus Christ lived in the mid-16th century under the rule of King Edward VI of England, who was then removed from his position of leadership, dethroned, and the queen, as she's known, Bloody Mary, took charge. Under her reign, many believers were martyred, namely two men, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. The account from Fox's Book of Martyrs reads as such. And the place of death was on the north side of the town there. Nicholas Ridley was dressed in a black gown, and Hugh Latimer had a long shroud hanging down to his feet. Ridley, as he passed, looked up to see Dr. Cramner, but he was then engaged in disputation with a friar. And when they came to the very stake where they were to be martyred, Ridley embraced Latimer fervently and bid him, Be of good heart, brother, for God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. He then knelt by the stake, and after earnestly praying together, they had a short private conversation. Dr. Smith then preached a short sermon against the martyrs, who would have answered him, but were prevented by Dr. Marshall, the vice chancellor. Ridley then took off his gown and his tippet. He gave them to his brother-in-law, Mr. Shipside. He gave them also away many trifles to his weeping friends, and the populace were now anxious to get even a fragment of their garments. Mr. Latimer gave nothing, and from the poverty of his garb, he was soon stripped to his shroud and stood venerable and erect, fearless of death. Ridley being unclothed to his shirt, <clears throat> the smith placed an iron, change about, an iron chain about their waists, and Ridley bid him fasten it securely. His brother, having tied a bag of gunpowder around his neck, gave some also to Mr. Latimer. Ridley then requested of Lord Williams to advocate with the queen <clears throat> the cause of some poor men to whom he had, when he was bishop, granted leases, but which the present bishop refused to confirm. A lighted torch was now laid <clears throat> at Ridley's feet, which caused Mr. Latimer to say, Be of good cheer, Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. When Ridley saw the fire flaming up towards him, he cried with a wonderful, loud voice, Lord, Lord, receive my spirit. Latimer crying as vehemently on the other side, O Father of heaven, receive my soul. Receive the flame, as it were, <clears throat> embracing them. After that, he stroked his face with his hands and, as it were, bathed a little bit in the fire. He soon died with very little pain or none. Can imagine being present for such an event as that. And yet, the apostle writes these words challenging us what it means to be willing to die to advance the gospel. And we're going to see maybe not necessarily 
with our lives like Ridley and Latimer, but in a different way with our lives daily. You see, the Apostle Fertz tells us how the gospel was advancing as he was in prison there in Rome, writing this letter to the brothers and sisters in Philippi. He writes how the gospel was clearly advancing because of his state of being. First, the gospel was advancing through the prison guard encounters. Paul writes there in verse 12 through 14. In verse 13, he says, It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, it's very likely that Paul, in his uh, imprisonment, was under constant watch by a rotation of guards there at the palace guard. Numerous guards, not just one, were likely in the presence of Paul. Many guards probably encountered the apostle during his imprisonment, not just one. And they became familiar with Paul, and they became familiar with his faith. One could not help, I'm sure, be around Paul no matter where he was and not understand his faith, which came out of him just like breathing. Paul knew the gospel would advance and was advancing. You see, the guards had to be there, of course, keeping watch. And if you're Watching the prisoner such as Paul, you are within distance of, of course, seeing him, but also hearing anything and everything that that prisoner experienced. They didn't do it through monitors from distance, through cable, TV, or satellite. It was there, standing within feet of the prisoner himself. And so they heard it all. They saw every visitor that came in to speak with Paul, to share with him, to pray with Paul, They heard the conversations back and forth, what Paul shared with them, what they shared with Paul. They probably heard the letters that Paul was writing being dictated to those who were taking them down because possibly Paul could not himself physically write some of the letters that were written. And he would say aloud the words he wished to be penned, which the Holy Spirit wrote, which would eventually become some of our inspired scriptures. Paul, I'm sure they heard him praying aloud, sharing his life with the Lord himself. And so these guards would then hear, be around all that was going on around the person of the Apostle Paul. And they would take that away. And they would go away. And they could not help, because of God's Spirit moving in them and upon them, to share with others what they saw, what they experienced. And so the gospel was advancing, and they had no idea that they were the messengers of that message when they went and shared with a family member or with friends or those in the other parts of the community about this man named the Apostle Paul, this man who his faith was something they could not explain, but they described as best they could. So the guards were advancing the gospel as they shared with those whom they encountered all that they saw and all that they understood. An amazing thought to think that even the guards themselves would probably have been advancing the gospel while Paul remained in prison. They became the missionaries 
Amazing thought how God works. Not just was the gospel advancing through the prison guards, but also it was advancing through other believers because they were being emboldened in their faith because of where Paul was and what he was experiencing. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Kind of inferring that possibly they were fearful prior to his imprisonment and understanding how God was using that in their lives. You see, how do we possibly know that these believers were needing to be more bold and courageous? Well, later in chapter 1, which we'll see even next week, Paul challenges his audience, the believers there in Philippi, to not be frightened by those who opposed them. So they were in fear. Later in chapter 2, which we'll come to, we see Paul exhorting them to be concerned for others' needs and not their own, to look out for the interests of others around them and not just be concerned with their own needs. You see, why would he say such a thing? Here's probably why. In times where someone is fearful, in times when we're fearful, what do we often do when we're in that environment, whether it be from the outside in or from the inside out? In times of fear and worry, a natural reaction is to turn inward to look out for number one, or those who are just close to us, to not consider those out around us, but to just focus and circle the wagons. And so Paul challenges that type of activity, that type of actions by those in the church in Philippi. So certainly they were being emboldened in their own faith, and the gospel was likely advancing through their courage, through their boldness of sharing their own faith as Paul was an example for them in prison in Rome. So the gospel was advancing through the prison guards and through those who were being emboldened. And we see that that was at least from Paul's writing the observation of the missionary zeal that God was putting forth, even though Paul himself was in chains. And he could do nothing but pray and send letters and accept visitors. You see, the gospel, and this is the amazing thing, the gospel advances in ways that we often do not even think could happen. And God uses us in ways and in situations where maybe we think is futile or we do not see as productive or we do not even comprehend as being usable for God, advancement of his kingdom. And yet, every time God uses those things in our lives, he uses them to build his kingdom and to advance the gospel. Paul then points us to not just how the gospel was advancing, but also challenges, to, challenges us and the readers in Philippi on what it means to both live and die for the gospel to be advanced. Living and dying for gospel advancement, this was on the heart of Paul as he was challenging and is challenging us even this morning. First, God uses all things for gospel advancement. He uses all things, underline the word all, for his grace to be extended, to, pre to pursue those whom he's calling to be his own. 
First, how does he do this in our living for gospel advancement? Well, verses 15 to 17, you read what Paul writes. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. You see, some had ill motives, and Paul could see that, and yet, what does he say? Even though some were not preaching Christ for the right reasons, it seemed, and they were seeking to gain personally from proclaiming Christ, or their reputation was more important than the reputation of Christ, Paul still knew that the gospel would continue to advance. Paul says that as long as Christ is preached, he will rejoice. Whether it's from wrong motives, ill motives, or good motives. He will rejoice. We look around to church today and we look around maybe our own community or or even our nation. And sometimes you may turn on TV and see a TV evangelist or someone And I'm sure you've never done this. Listen to someone on the television preaching a message or speaking in their church and question their motives. Question how they're going about proclaiming the message they're proclaiming. And certainly it's a a temptation to do so. And yet, if Christ is being proclaimed, truly being proclaimed, We must rejoice. We must ask God to continue to spread the advancement of the power of the gospel. Paul viewed it that way. How Paul also viewed his own imprisonment in verse 12. He says, now, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know, he saw his imprisonment as something that truly was advancing, not limiting, not hindering, not stopping the advancement of the gospel, but actually being a fuel for the advancement of the message of Christ. You know, and it wasn't just when Paul says this in verse 12, he was kind of saying, now when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's not really what he's saying here in verse 12. He's really saying... Now, what's happened to me? You know I'm here. I'm in Rome and I'm in prison. I have guards all around me. I'm in chains. I believe this has happened to me because God wants to advance the gospel in a way that, though I may not choose it myself, is going to happen. Understand this. God is doing a work of advancement. He viewed his imprisonment as a tool in God's hands. Would you view your imprisonment as a tool in God's hands to advance his kingdom? It would take great faith that God would have to give for any of us to view our imprisonment or our martyrdom for the advancement of God's kingdom. But yet Paul views it that way. The Spirit gives him that understanding. How Paul viewed staying alive, though, is an amazing Perspective, verses 22 and then 24 and 25. In 22, he says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. 
Verse 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you in your progress and joy in the faith. The only reason Paul saw a reason to tarry in this world and not to be in God's presence was to advance the gospel. He didn't consider staying alive and being in this life with all of his suffering and trials and tribulations, something that his heart desired greatly. And it wasn't just because of all the suffering. Even if Paul, I'm sure, would have been blessed with great riches and not suffering and, and blessings without those trials in the same, in a different way, Paul, by God's Spirit, would have had the perspective that everything in his life, as he was given by Christ, was given so that he would then use it to advance the grace and extend the kingdom of Christ. The only reason Paul would see his life continue would be that God would use him. Use him for his glory. Use him to advance the kingdom. That's why Paul felt like God wanted him to stick around a little bit longer. What are your reasons for staying alive? What are your reasons for living today? It, it begs the question, Paul's own testimony begs the question that we look at our own life and ask ourselves the question, why do I have life? What am I living for today? What are we living for today, this coming week? What did we live for Friday? What did we live for last Tuesday? We must look at those hard questions and see what lies beneath. What are we living for? Is it a career, success? Is it money, more of it? Is it possibly our family or our children that we live for? That's why I'm here. Those are all things that God has blessed and given most all of us here, even our health. <clears throat> but those cannot be the reason for which we live and have been given breath and life. They are not the ultimate reason. And if any of those things or anything I didn't mention is your ultimate reason for why you live on this earth, we're missing. We're missing what God has for us to understand here. We've all been given the reason, and it is that we would glorify God and spread His message of grace as long as we have breath. We would be used by Him so that He would be glorified, He would be worshipped, not only by us, but all whom He would use us to share that amazing gift of salvation with. That's how Paul viewed staying alive. He viewed his life as nothing to be wasted. This past week, uh, Bob and Cindy Mossy, a, a couple in our, in our church, um, Cindy's father passed away. Many, many years of life, very fruitful life as he knew the Lord. James Berry, Cindy's father. This afternoon, they're having services down in south of Atlanta. 
His life was all about, as I spoke with Cindy this week, James Berry's life was all about sharing the good news of Jesus with whomever he could, whenever he could. And though he wanted so much to be with his Savior, he saw his life as being fully used for God's kingdom and advancement of the gospel. Even at one time, Cindy said he was telling his wife, Cindy's mother, I just wish the Lord would come and just take, take me home now. And Cindy's mom would be, James, you can't say such a thing. Wanting him, of course, to be close to her as the spouse. And yet, he truly had that same heart as Paul from what Cindy tells me. She described one time when, I think it was the, uh, the gas meter reader for coming to check your gas, how much gas you've used, came onto the property there at the house, and so he walked out, made a beeline for the gas meter reader, and was there to share Christ with him. Did not want him to leave until he had a chance to share all that he needed to share with him about what Jesus had done for him. How often do we think of an opportunity like the gas meter reader? or the cable guy, or whoever else would come by our house, that we would share Christ with them. That was his perspective. Everywhere he went, people knew about James Berry. Not because of James Berry, but because of the one whom he worshipped and followed. He was, I believe, well into his 80s. Many years God had blessed him with life, and he did not see the twilight years of his life as being just something he could spend and use for his own pleasure. He saw them fully expendable for God's pleasure. You know, there's no such thing as real retirement, as we think of it, nowhere in the Scriptures. Retirement is a modern invention of our own affluence and convenience that sees life as a journey whereby a person works hard and has earned some inalienable right to do whatever they want for their twilight years. I'm starting to, I can see my twilight years just down the corridor. It's not that far away. But Scripture's testimony has no description like that. Only one place in the whole Bible where the concept, even the word retirement, is found. Does anyone know where it is? Exactly. Numbers chapter 8, verses 23 to 26. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting, but at the age of 50 they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibility of the Levites. That's the only place. The only place in the Bible that talks of retirement is when a 50-year-old Levite priest couldn't haul the ark around any longer. That's what he wasn't supposed to be doing anymore, the physical labor of the tent of meeting. Yet, he was to assist, to equip, to disciple, to train up the next generation of Levites, to invest his time and energy for the remainder of his years in advancing the gospel in a different way. You see, every stage of life you're in is just a different opportunity for you to advance the gospel in your life. There isn't a point at which you stop doing that all of your life. Right now, whether you're with young children or older children, or you're an empty nester, or you have no children, or you're not married, or you're single, or you're in school, you're in elementary or middle school or high school, or you're in college, wherever you are in your life, it is just a different opportunity 
as you're growing up, as you're growing older, however age you are, to be advancing the gospel as God would give you opportunity. The psalmist says, Lord, teach me to number my days. We must be careful to do so. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There's nothing about our life that's supposed to be for just me only. It's all about him only. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, the testimony of scripture from Genesis to Revelation says the more mature a believer becomes and grows, the more is in required of him or her to invest into the kingdom of God. So as we grow older in our faith, God is expecting us and giving us even greater responsibility to advance the gospel, not less. So as you grow older in your faith, you should be looking and longing and praying towards how God would use you in even more significant ways than you have the previous years. Investing in others. Investing in souls and people who need to hear and understand and apply the gospel to their life. But Paul also not just viewed living this way, but he viewed dying in a very significant way. Verses 21 to 23. For to me to live is Christ. We just talked about that. Christ alone. But to die is gain. Dying was a huge benefit to Paul. It would be a huge benefit. For he was suffering greatly. And the only thing that could trump that. Going and being in the very presence of Jesus the only thing that could trump that in Paul's mind would be to stay for the purpose of advancing the gospel while he was living. That was it. Nothing else could trump going and being with Jesus in his mind. God uses all things for gospel advancement. All things. What in your life do you think isn't very usable? right now? What's happened in your life as you look back in the rearview mirror that maybe you look back and say, there's no way that could be used for God's glory or for his kingdom to be advanced. Not that, Lord. There's no way. Whatever you think of that is not usable, that's probably the very thing that might be the most usable, actually. Why? Because most things that we think of that are not very usable are things that we're ashamed of, things that show our weakness, things that shows our, show our humanity, things that show our frailty, things that make us not look so good in front of others. Those are the things we don't feel like are usable. Those are the things, though, that reveal that we are broken. Those are the things that reveal that we are in need. And those are the things that show we are weak, and it points that He is able he is strong, and he can do all things. <clears throat> Paul not only writes about how he uses all, God uses all things for his advancement, but he also says living to Christ occurs by dying to self. Verses 20 and 21. To Paul, in those two verses, living for Christ 
like I said, was just like breathing. It was necessary. And if you did not do it, you would cease to even truly live. Paul's passion for living only for Christ comes from his clear understanding of how he had become in his own life spiritually alive. How that happened to him. He never forgot it on the road to Damascus and how God had been so merciful to him. We know this through his other letters. Ephesians chapter 2, he writes this, As for you to the church of Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, Paul simply says, it is God who has made me alive through Christ. He's made me alive. I did not do any of this at all in my strength or ability. Paul realized that he had to die to himself if he ever hoped he would be live unto Christ. And we must think the same way. We must die to ourselves if we ever hope to live for Christ. In Romans 6, Paul writes, Now if we died with Christ... We believe <clears throat> that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Then he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Dying to self, dying to sin, but alive to Christ. We can only do that because, as Paul wrote, Christ has died once for all for our sin. And now he has become our substitute. And he abides in us. We abide in him. And in him we are alive from death to life. And daily we continue to die to ourself. We must daily die to ourself. Because that then allows for Christ to live in us daily. In a new and abiding way. Continually to grow and to abound as death and sin is placed aside, is done away with. It is that we must consider for our daily walk with Jesus. And as we do so, the advancement of the gospel will take place. As we die to ourselves so the gospel would advance, that God would be glorified.